0: Hey, friends, and welcome to episode 11 of It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. I'm your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, and today's episode covers something that's on everyone's mind, not just in this fresh start time of year, but anytime we want to make some kind of change in our lives, whether it's big or small. This could look like waking up earlier or less green time, or maybe it's something really challenging like folding and putting away laundry right after it comes out of the dryer. By now, we should all know that there's rarely such thing as an overnight success, and that usually any kind of transformation or a big win comes from taking a whole bunch of small steps consistently over time. Simple? Sure. Easy? Definitely not. So, today we're talking all about habits. And I'll say that there is a lot out there about habits. It'd be pretty much impossible to cover every angle of habits in just one podcast episode. So, we're going to keep this as simple as possible and focus on what exactly makes a habit, how your personality shapes how you do habits. And I'll share a bunch of choose-your-own-adventure-style strategies for starting and sticking with the good habits you want to create. Plus, we'll tackle the flip side and talk a little bit about how to kick bad habits to the curb. If you're looking to finally make yoga a daily thing, stop hitting the snooze button, or make weekly meal planning an autopilot-style way of life, then you are going to love this episode. Oh, and as usual, I know you've got a lot going on and can't exactly scribble down notes while you're listening, so I've got you covered. Although at least one of you have shared that you pulled over while driving to take notes on episode three, which was all about creating a calendar system, and I love it. And make sure you stay safe out there. (laughs) You can grab the details from this episode over in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 11. I've also got you covered if you haven't had a chance yet to set your goals for the year ahead. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, as I'm prepping for this episode, I haven't finished my 2020 goal setting. But I'm not worried because I know that I've got a simple three-part system for getting it done and making things happen. And if you're thinking, oh, it's too late, we're halfway through January, what's the point? It is never too late to set goals and create your intention for the year. And if you want to partner in the process, I've got a 20-page workbook and coaching video that walks you through it step by step. You can grab this totally free planning bundle to design your best year ever in the show notes, or you can head straight to abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 2020 best year ever. This Best Year Ever Bundle is yours for free the entire month of January, so grab it while you can. And if you haven't yet, I encourage you to click the subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes and surprise bonus episodes go live. If you like what you hear, I'd be so grateful for your review. Your reviews play a huge role in helping others find It's About Time in the search results. And you might just get a shout out in a future episode, like this one from PBM529. PBM529 was so kind to leave a five-star rating in review in iTunes for It's About Time. PBM529 writes, find balance with Anna. The trailer had me interested. The first episode has me hooked. Anna has taken her years of coaching experience to help you bring a little less chaos into this chaotic world. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to never miss out on a great guide to balancing your life. PBM 529, thank you so much. I'm thrilled that the first episode is just what you were looking for, and I hope that you've enjoyed the rest of the episodes too. It's true. Life can get pretty chaotic at times, and I'm so grateful that It's About Time can help you create a little peace among the crazy. So happy to have you as a listener and a subscriber. Thanks again. All right. It's about time we get started. So here we go. Mm
1: Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman kornick Slow and steady wins the race. Little by little,
0: your progress adds up. Play the long game. It's a marathon, not a sprint. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Oh my gosh, how utterly annoying is it to hear that kind of stuff when all you want to do is make a big change in your life? Serious eye roll material. In this era of 27 Facebook likes within seconds of posting a new photo, free two-day delivery with Amazon Prime, grocery delivery, fast food delivery, cookie delivery, you name it, and there's probably some kind of instant or almost instant gratification version of it. We want it all, and we want it now. And if not now, then really, really fast. That makes progress on long-term stuff like health goals or being less stressed or building a million-dollar business, for example, really hard to stick to. But think for a sec about the good habits you already have in place. There are probably some that are so second nature that you don't even notice them anymore. They feel almost like being on autopilot. They've become ingrained into your day-to-day, and they're just a part of who you are now. And if you're having trouble thinking of a good habit, brushing your teeth in the morning is probably one of the most basic examples. There's really no decision-making involved. You just do it. Speaking of decisions, that's one of the big reasons why creating good habits is so key. It's estimated that the average adult makes about 35,000 decisions each day. And if you get about seven hours of sleep, that comes out to around 2,000 decisions an hour. It's honestly no wonder that decision fatigue is a thing. And if you're not familiar with the concept of decision fatigue... It's basically the idea that your ability to make good decisions begins to decline after an extended period of decision-making. Picture your brain like a gas tank, and you only have a certain amount of gas in the tank for making decisions. And every time you make a decision, especially hard ones like whether or not to eat that donut in the break room when you just started a new diet, every time you make a decision, you use a little bit of that gas until by the end of the day, you're close to running on empty and you just don't have enough gas in your tank to say no. When your husband asks you if you want a bowl of ice cream after dinner, it's why so many bad decisions happen at night. Although nothing against ice cream, but you see what I mean? I could actually do a whole episode just on decision fatigue Um, So I'm writing that down and that is happening. Making something a habit is like putting yourself on autopilot so you don't waste that precious limited decision-making energy. Author John C. Maxwell once said, life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. So obviously you want to set yourself up to make the best choices you can because your life depends on it. No pressure. So now that we've got some pretty good reasons why we want to create good habits and stick to them, let's pause for a sec and get crystal clear on what habits actually are. Definition style. A habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. A habit is an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary. A habit is a behavior pattern acquired by frequent repetition or physiologic exposure that shows itself in regularly or increased facility of performance. Basically, you know something has truly become a habit when it feels super weird when you don't do it. Back to the teeth brushing example, I don't even have to say it. You know it would just be unsettling and feel off to just not brush your teeth. So... Enough definitions, we get the idea. But before we move on, let me touch real quick on the difference between a habit and a routine, because this is important. A lot of us, me included, can say that we want to start a certain habit when actually what we're talking about is a routine. And in order to really make the impact we want, we've got to know the difference. So a routine is a regular way of doing things in a particular order. Or a sequence of actions that is regularly followed. Some people like to say that a routine is a collection of habits, but that's not necessarily true. A routine can become habit, but they often don't start that way. For example, I have a certain routine I follow every time I sit down to record a podcast, but it's not exactly second nature yet, and it's definitely not on autopilot. In fact, Y'all know that I forgot a pretty important step plugging in my mic for episode six. It's just a routine until it becomes something I can do without thinking. And don't forget that when you were little, someone had to teach you how and remind you to brush your teeth on the reg before it truly became second nature. Sometimes we forget that just about everything in life started with baby steps. Fortunately, Routines can be a great way to make something a habit, and we'll get to that a little later on. So habits, even though they can happen without us thinking and sometimes in the blink of an eye, actually have a few different building blocks. In the book Atomic Habits, author James Clear talks about these four, the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. In The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg references MIT research that identified these three parts, the cue, the routine, and the reward. The cue is the thing that happens that makes you think of doing the habit. The craving is when you start feeling the need to do the thing. The response is doing the thing. And the reward is how you feel after you do the thing. So brushing your teeth example, the cue is you wake up. The craving is that feeling when you want to brush your teeth. The response is brushing your teeth. And the reward is the feeling of completion and a minty fresh mouth after you do it. My husband actually makes fun of me for this habit that I picked up as a kid So I grew up in a small town that was about 45 minutes away from everything. So anytime my mom and I got in the car to head out of town, we always stopped at Sonic and got a drink. Crushed ice from Sonic is just the best. The idea was that if something happened along the way, like if our car broke down or something happened, we didn't want to be without something to drink. Harmless enough, right? Well, now as an adult, anytime I get in the car to go somewhere... I feel like I need to stop to get something to drink. Like I instantly get thirsty. So the cue is getting in the car. The craving is I need a beverage. Or even when we're getting ready to leave the house, I start to get excited about stopping for the drink. Scott, my husband, is not a big fan of this and is working diligently to break this habit of mine. Alrighty, so we've covered why habits are so great and what exactly habits are and even broke them down into smaller bite-sized pieces. So it's time to dig into how we can make habits work for us. Just like you can't copy and paste a time management strategy from one person to another and expect it to work, the best way to start and stick to habits is going to be personal. So after you decide which habits you want to start, whether it's going to bed earlier, writing thank you notes every Friday, or putting your reusable shopping bags back in your car after you unload groceries, here are three steps to sticking to them. First is to know yourself. Second is to create systems that work for you. And third is to focus on who you want to become not what you want to do. Let's start with knowing yourself. This could look like taking personality assessments like the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, aka the MBTI, or the Enneagram, the DISC, Clifton Strengths, or any number of personality assessments out there. I mean, even a quiz to see which Disney princess would be your real-life BFF can be pretty revealing. So you might be thinking, okay, so a personality test? what's the point? Here's the thing. We spend a lot of time up in our own heads, and it can be hard to see those things that make us us because we spend all of our time being us. If you've ever prepped for a job interview and felt totally stumped trying to come up with your best strengths and weaknesses, then you know exactly what I mean personality assessments don't tell you what your personality is and they definitely don't define who you are, but they can be super helpful at helping you articulate things that you already know, but maybe have never put into words before. They can help you see your strengths and on the flip side, your weaknesses that maybe you hadn't noticed because you're so used to being you. Sometimes it can be easy to assume that, oh, well, everyone's good at XYZ, i Z. I'm not unique. Or it can be easy to assume that everyone else thinks the same way you would about a given situation. But that's definitely not the case. And personality, asses- and personality assessments help tease those things out. Here's an example. In the Myers-Briggs type indicator, the MBTI, there are two primary types that indicate how we make decisions and are represented by a T or an F. T stands for thinking and F stands for feeling. Okay, picture this. You supervise a team of two people at work and your company has asked you to lay off one of your employees. Yikes. It's purely a financial decision and neither of your employees has done anything wrong, but one must go. One of your team members is better at the job the other has children, which one stays. So you probably had an instant gut reaction and leaned one way or the other. You might've thought, well, obviously keep the one who's better at the job. Or you might've thought the opposite and you're thinking that all of the people who lay off the person with children are heartless. Fortunately, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's all about preference. And someone with a preference for thinking, the T, is probably going to keep the person who's better at the job. And someone with a preference for feeling, that's the F, is probably going to keep the person with children. On the other hand, just as personality assessments can show us that we're different, they can also reveal ways that we're not alone. So I debated on whether or not to share this, but in the spirit of vulnerability, here goes. Last week, I got a call from my uncle, letting me know that my mom had been rushed to the hospital in an ambulance early that morning. She was in stable condition, and they were waiting to learn more. Part of me wanted to jump in my car and drive the four hours up to North Louisiana to be by her side in the hospital, but I also had a speaking engagement that morning. Through middle school and high school, my mom was in the audience as I stood on stage to compete in countless speech contests, and deep down... I felt like she would want me to follow through and share my story with the audience as I'd promised. So I pressed pause on my emotions and told myself I would let myself feel the feelings of fear, sadness, uncertainty, and more fear later. I finished getting dressed, did a run through of my presentation, and truly enjoyed my time with a group of amazing women at this event. And later in the day, once I was back home, alone and in comfy clothes, I felt the feelings. I've done this before, and being able to press pause on my feelings really came in handy when I had to be strong while managing crisis communications for clients in my past career. But I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I was a big heartless weirdo for going numb to get things done. But then when I learned about the Enneagram another personality framework, I found that this ability to ignore feelings and get things done was common for type threes, my type. The realization that I wasn't alone and that there were other people out there like me was huge. Personality assessments can show us how we're different and also show us that we're not alone. And your personality can have a big impact in how you set yourself up for success, including starting and sticking to habits. So it helps to know yourself as much as possible, even if it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. What worked for someone else might not work for you, and that's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, I promise. Okay, y'all. So I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. In her book, Better Than Before, Gretchen Rubin writes about what she calls the four tendencies. The four tendencies is a framework she created to explain how different people respond to habits based on how they respond to inner and outer expectations. From her observation, everyone falls into one of four groups upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders typically follow through with both outer and inner expectations. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. If they tell someone else they're going to do something, they do it. They're self-starters and they'll go for a run in the pouring down rain just so they don't break their streak. Questioners follow through with inner expectations But they resist outer expectations. Basically, they're totally cool with doing stuff when it makes sense to them or if they think it's worthwhile. Motivated by reason, logic, and fairness, they have to know the why behind everything. And questioners are also unique because they typically fall into one of two categories. They're either questioners who lean toward upholders or they're questioners who lean toward rebelling. If you've ever needed to con- If you ever need to convince a question or something, send them an article with some stats. That'll probably help. Obligers are the most common, and they have trouble following through with inner expectations, but they're great at meeting outer expectations. An obliger will meet a workout buddy at 6 a.m. every morning so they don't let that buddy down. But Solo? Probably just going to hit the snooze button and sleep in. This group is more likely to break promises to themselves, so they have a lot of success when they create accountability through running groups, workout buddies, book clubs, masterminds, and other team-based activities. Finally, Rubin says that rebels resist both inner and outer expectations. They resist self control, place a high value on authenticity, and pretty much like to do their own thing. If you tell a rebel to do something, they might just look you in the eye and do the opposite just to show that they can. Rebels are typically not fans of routine and repetition. And when they have to do something regularly, like submit weekly reports using a specific template at work, they really struggle. If you want to learn more about Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies, I highly recommend checking out her book Better Than Before. She's also written a separate book just on the Four Tendencies called The Four Tendencies. I haven't read it, but I'm sure it's fantastic. I'll link to both books as well as her free Four Tendencies quiz in the show notes, about abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 11, so you can learn more. Based on these quick descriptions, do you have an idea of which tendency you might be? Me? I'm 100% a questioner. And I'll say, I used to be a questioner that leaned rebel, but I'm definitely a questioner that leans upholder now. Knowing how you respond to expectations, others and your own, is instrumental to the second piece of the habit puzzle, and that's creating systems that work. You might be happy to know that most of the time, the reason why a habit loses traction isn't because you're lazy or a failure. It's because you just didn't have the right system in place. In the book Atomic Habits, James Clear writes, if you want better results, then forget about setting goals. Focus on your system instead. Yeah, um, I, I can't get behind that 100%, but I can totally agree with the importance of going one step further than just setting a goal. It's easy to say, I will go to the gym three times a week, but it takes some effort to actually figure out how you're going to make it happen. So let's look at a few different strategies for making it happen. The first is called worst case scenario. This is a question that I ask my time management coaching clients whenever they set a goal at the end of our sessions. And I want you to think of a good habit that you want to start. Got it? Okay, here's the question. Worst case scenario, you failed. What went wrong? Whenever you imagine the worst-case scenario or other possible scenarios in which you didn't follow through, you can envision and create a plan that helps you avoid or overcome those obstacles before they happen. So let's say you want to start going to the gym three times a week. And before day one, you ask yourself, I failed. What went wrong? Some of those obstacles that you think of could include, I didn't block out enough time. I ran into traffic and couldn't get there. I didn't have childcare. My gym clothes weren't clean. I couldn't find my running shoes and any number of things. And then one by one, you can figure out a way to handle each of those issues to clear the path so you can follow through on your new habit. And if you're trying to quit a bad habit, you can ask a variation of this question. I failed. Why did I give in? And you can think through the potential pitfalls that could lead to giving into the bad habit. Create solutions and protect yourself from giving in. The next strategy you can use to stick to habits is called habit stacking. Basically, you pair your new habit with something that you already do super regularly. So what's something that's already a habit in your life? Brushing your teeth, probably, hopefully. Your morning cup of coffee putting in contacts maybe, unplugging your phone from the charger. Just pick something that you already do regularly without thought and pledge to do your new habit at the same time. Just like we talked about the building blocks of habits earlier, your existing habit becomes the cue that sets off the craving and then you respond by doing the new habit. Last year, I cultivated a habit of writing down my goals every time I sat down at my desk to start my work day. I told myself that I couldn't wake up my laptop, something I do every time I start working, until I'd written down my goals. So now, whenever I sit at my desk, I feel that urge to write down my goals before I begin the day. Stacking writing down my goals with starting up my laptop formed the habit. So now the cue is sitting down at my desk. The craving is I need to write down my goals and the response is doing it. And the reward is that I start the day in a great frame of mind. Remember when we talked about routines earlier? If you don't have a particular habit you can stack with, find a routine that's already in place and add that habit to that routine. Or... Create a new routine and follow it over and over again until the routine becomes habit. If you're trying to drop a bad habit, think about what you associate with that habit. What's the cue that triggers the craving? And whenever you have the cue and feel the craving, what new behavior can you do instead of the bad habit? Next, change your environment. You want to make things as easy as possible to set yourself up for success. Maybe you need to move some things around in your house. Maybe you need to keep an extra set of running shoes in your car. Maybe you need to change gyms or get a new desk chair. Maybe you need to get a separate alarm clock and stop plugging in your phone next to your bed. Or maybe you need to put your alarm clock in the bathroom. There are so many small changes you can make to your environment makes sticking to your habit easy. Now there are also big changes you can make to your environment like moving homes or changing jobs. It's up to you to decide how important a habit is to you and what changes you need to make to support it. When it comes to kicking bad habits, environmental changes can also make a big difference here too. What do you need to remove? What do you need to change? What do you need to create in your environment to keep the right mindset to say no to the bad habit you're trying to kick. Next up, find a tribe, especially if you're an obliger. This is kind of like changing your environment in some ways because the the people you spend time with have a huge influence, positive and negative, in your life. For example, if you're trying to build your business, Having a group of trusted industry friends who are also making moves in their businesses will help you grow and stay accountable to your good habits. On the flip side, if you're trying to kick a bad habit like overspending and you spend a lot of time around some big spenders, you might struggle to keep your spending in check. I'm not saying ditch your friends if you don't have every habit in common, but I am suggesting that you find a group that can support you. Facebook groups, meetups like Rising Tide Society, weight watchers and fitness groups, book clubs, running clubs, a small group at church. All of these are great options for finding a tribe. And within your tribe, you might be able to find someone to help with the next strategy, which is find an accountability partner. Again, This works especially well for obligers, but studies have shown that no matter your personality type, sharing your goals with someone else, including habit goals, and checking in with that person on a regular basis makes you 95% more likely to achieve your goal. I've said it before and I'll say it again, 95 is almost 100. So having an accountability partner is almost a guarantee that you'll stick to something. So give it a shot. And while there are many, many different methods and strategies out there for sticking to habits, I'm going to share just one more, and that's to track it. Management expert Peter Drucker said, what gets measured gets managed. Basically, when you're tracking something, whether you're putting your calories in an app, counting your steps on your Fitbit, or marking your progress on a habit tracker, Knowing in the back of your mind that you've got to follow through and record your progress or post a big zero, that knowing you've got to track serves as motivation to keep that habit going. Years ago, a young comedian asked Jerry Seinfeld his secret to success. Jerry said that the way to be a better comic is to write better jokes. And the way to write better jokes is to write every day. So he told the young comic to buy one of those big wall calendars that has the whole year on one page and hang it up where he could see it. And every day that you write, put a big X over that day with a red marker. And before long, you'll have a chain of X's and it'll get longer and longer every day. And before long, you're going to really like seeing that long chain of X's. And he said, your only job next is to not break the chain. Don't break the chain. This advice is golden and not just for up and coming stand up comics. Grab a calendar, start tracking, and don't break the chain. And if you do, hey, life happens. It's okay. Get back at it and keep going. Just try not to let yourself miss more than two days in the chain. Trying to kick a bad habit? You can do the same thing. Track every day that you don't give in. Every day you don't check email first thing. Every day that you put your phone away before 9 p.m. Don't break the chain. And when it comes to setting yourself up for habit success by creating a system that works for you, don't give up if it doesn't work the first time. If the system fails, try something else. If you fail again, try something else. What strategies work best with your personality, the way you make decisions, and how you see the world? Keep trying and testing and fixing and moving forward. So here's a quick recap of the strategies I mentioned in step two, create systems that work. And of course, all of these are in the show notes. Worst case scenario. Anticipate the obstacles and make a plan. Habit stack. Add a new habit before or after an existing habit. Change your environment. Make your habit easier with small tweaks or big changes. Find a tribe. Find a group that can support you. Find an accountability partner. You're 95% more likely to reach your goals and track it. Don't break the chain. Finally, step three, focus on who you want to become. Although I disagree with what James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, said when he recommends forgetting your goals and just focusing on systems, I can totally get behind his recommendation to focus on who you want to become instead of the habit itself. Like this, Instead of telling yourself, I go to the gym three times a week, you could instead tell yourself, I am someone who goes to the gym three times per week. Sure, that's a super small wording change, but what you're doing is making going to the gym part of your identity. You're making it a part of who you are, even if it's not quite a part of who you are yet. Sort of like a habit version of fake it till you make it. Recently, my coach Kristen led a group coaching session about clarifying and committing to our decade worthy work. And at one point, she asked us to think of who we want to be in 10 years and to add the word best. So, I am the best wedding decor rental company owner in the Southeast, or I am the best public relations practitioner in the oil and gas industry, or I'm the best physical therapist in the country. I am the best time management coach, speaker, and author in the country might just have been mine. And she said, when the going gets tough and you don't want to stick to your daily writing habit, or you don't want to get out of bed at 530 to head to the gym, or you don't want to put your phone away at night, you can ask yourself, what would the best insert your thing here do In this situation and chances are you'll be motivated to action and just like you can picture your best future self picture the end goal of your habit if you want to wake up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym and meditate before your kids wake up picture how that will change you after time imagine yourself more in shape more calm and enjoying mornings with your kids if you want to write every day Picture yourself on your national best-selling book tour across the country, sitting down for an interview with Savannah on the Today Show. Just find a way to connect your little-by-little steps to your bigger picture. And finally, watch your mouth. And I don't mean curse words. Be mindful of what you say about yourself. So here's an example. Let's say your new habit is that you want to start working out in the morning before work, but you also say things like, but I'm not a morning person, or, but I don't really know what I'm doing, or I really want to work out, but I don't know if there's time. The way you talk about yourself and your ability to do or not do things becomes your self-fulfilling prophecy. So do your best to cut out the limiting talk and focus on who you want to become. So to recap step 3, focus on who you want to become. Ask yourself what would the best insert my thing here do whenever you're tempted to skip your good habit or give into a bad one. Next, picture the end goal. Imagine what life will be like after you stick to this for weeks, months, or years. Finally, watch your mouth. Pay attention to how you talk about yourself and your abilities. Keep it positive. And all three of those big steps are to first, know yourself, second, create systems that work for you, and finally, focus on who you want to become. Okay, wow. So there you have it. We have covered a lot today. I wasn't lying when I said that there's a lot that can be said about habits. So if you enjoyed this episode, shoot me an email at Anna at or send me an Instagram DM and let me know. Those were three big steps to creating habits, sticking to them, and how to kick the bad ones. I'd love to know if you found this episode to be valuable or if you'd like to learn more about habits in the future. I'd love to know what good habits you're hoping to adopt. So head over to the It's About Time podcast community on Facebook and let us know. You can find it by visiting abouttimepodcast.com forward slash community. And as always, all of the details from today's episode can be found in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 11. And while you're there. Don't forget to download the limited time only, totally free 20 page workbook and coaching video that will walk you through the exact steps I use to plan my year and make sure you are set up for smart goal success. Be sure to tune in next week for episode 12. Episode 12 features an interview with Amy Landry. Amy is an absolute women's leadership powerhouse. She's the CEO of Landry Corporate Training, founder of Diapers to Desk, creator of the Loyola University New Orleans Women's Leadership Program, and if Amy's many awards, accolades, and recognition were in the form of Girl Scout merit badges, let's just say her sash would be super full. (laughs) You're going to love hearing what Amy has to say about work, life, and balance. All right. That's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to talking with you soon.